0: Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church. Reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Catola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for tuning in today and for uh, anticipating part two of our conversation with Dr. Priscilla Coleman. If you have not listened to uh, the uh, former interview, please go to cradlemyheart.org and seek that out because uh, you're going to find some very surprising data and research and fact-finding that is the result of Dr. Coleman's work and that we're going to continue to discuss today. Uh, Welcome back to Cradle My Heart Radio. Thank
1: you. I wasn't sure if that was for the listeners
0: or for me. Thank you. Dr. Coleman is a a retired professor of human development and family studies at Bowling Green University, and she's researched the impact of abortion on mental health, mortality, and interpersonal relationships, and has published dozens and dozens of of, uh, uh, findings in academic journals, in scientific journals. Her research interests include abortion decision-making, post-abortion mental health, abortion and intimate relationship quality, as well as perinatal loss and parenting and other areas uh, uh, of her uh, area of study of lifespan uh, de- psychology. Uh, is it lifespan t- psychology? Forgive me. It's, uh, it- lifespan
1: developmental. 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 Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. And so uh, I want to focus on this conversation on post-abortion mental health. Um, okay. And, you know, one of the things that... Um, we talked about is you know this this closing of ranks uh, between abortion rights proponents and the mental health community to say that abortion does not have a mental health impact on the women who choose it. But as you mentioned in our first conversation, a, a wealth of data exists to show the contrary. So given, yeah. given that, um, you know, these days we might call that gaslighting. Uh, we might call it, back in the day, we might call it blaming the victim. Uh, there are lots of different ways to characterize making women feel bad about feeling bad about abortion. Right. But, I mean, I feel like that's the net impact. So then you have two problems, right? I feel bad about my abortion, and I feel bad about feeling bad about my abortion because everyone says I should just get over it. (laughs) Right. So when you you have a compound mental health challenge like that, how in the world does the individual work his or her way out of that?
1: Well, I think with all the abortions that have been performed over the last 50 years, there are so many women out there in pain that – That's hard to suppress. So I do think that more women now are aware that the experience of adverse effects, whether they have a full-blown mental illness or some other emotional or uh, psychological problems adjusting afterwards, they don 't feel as alone as maybe they did twenty years ago because there is information out there now um from the research and just and just from the women 's pain and and women more and more women are speaking out so but I'm sure that many women still just hear that message that there's nothing to this if you're having problems, you must have had mental illness before or you 're just not. You know you're, you're making too much of it there's just all kinds of those types of messages so it's still there and it's, it's still painful for women who are suffering um, fortunately there are blogs there are um, facebook pages there's just a lot more in terms of avenues for women to find out that they aren't alone uh, but i think you know there are a number of reasons that uh, and barriers to overcoming or recovering from abortion um, for for many women, the feelings that they have are not expected because they weren't advised they may feel grief and loss and shame, and um, and so they, they, when they awake from the experience, and they, you know, they initially there might be some relief, but then when they start to think about, um, you know, having undergone the abortion, they. Um, the the emotions are somewhat unexpected and then complicated by often not feeling free to share the experience with the people closest to them. So a young woman in her teens, early 20s, may not share it with a parent or even close friends, may not let the partner know. So they're often suffering in isolation as well. uh, So that can compound it. And, And there are just a lot of reasons. Some women, you know, Feel that need to stop the emotional pain so severely. Yet they also might have feelings of um, deserving punishment. They may have feel guilt for what they did, and so they may not seek treatment because they don't think they deserve it. I mean, the, the stories are just so sad, and, and you know, and just so unnecessary. So many women would, I believe, would would not choose abortion if given the truth beforehand. Um, and then some, you know. Feel forgiven by God, Christian women, but they somehow just can't quite forgive themselves, and so um, you know they're just they're very complicated emotions, and there are reminders everywhere, um, you know, children everywhere, babies everywhere, you know, and so it's it can be a very sad, lonely experience, and women, so many women just don't want to seek help, they don't want to tell anyone. Um,
0: well, and I think that the culture has done such a fine job of erasing the other life in the abortion <laughs> equation that the grief becomes completely disenfranchised. You don't have anything to grieve because there wasn't another life. And, you know, yeah. when you talk about the stories, you know, so often as I hear stories, uh, I'll hear women say exactly what my thinking informed me of, which is this is a pregnancy I'm ending, not a life. You know, right. and then the truth that there's a child missing, there's a life missing, and a life loss that needs to be mourned. I think mm-hmm. um, becomes like the central one of the central challenges.
1: Yes, and in the area of uh, miscarriage and still or stillbirth, you know, when when, the, when there's a loss that wasn't voluntary, finally there's acknowledgement of the the grief and the and the loss of a life in in the medical. In academic literature, but that's relatively new on the scene. The last twenty years or so. For a long time, women who miscarried also felt that that there, you know, that there wasn't any recognition that a life was lost. And so, I've been hopeful that you know, if you're acknowledging a life in a you know unintended loss, that you've at the same gestational point, it's, there's still a child there, there's still a life there, and so that some of that may. May you know come come to women. There might be more understanding, but it's you know it's just not viewed the same. The miscarriage and abortion in the in the literature.
0: Well, and you know, so if we know it's a loss, this to me seems like very good news because we have all kinds of methodologies and resources and outreach to help people with loss, to help people right. w- with grief. I mean, is, right. is this the path to um, spiritual and mental recovery after abortion and after reproductive loss is just to acknowledge that this is a loss and treat it as such?
1: Well, I I think so, definitely for a a large percentage of women. In 2017, I published my first qualitative study, which is a little different from most of the data that I've analyzed in the past. The previous research was all quantitatively based, numerically based, large data sets, existing data. But I was more interested in hearing uh, women's personal stories. And in order to do that, you have to shift the methodology. And so I basically conducted a study with the help of CARENAT throughout the country. And we asked women, we had some quantitative analyses, but we also just asked women two simple questions. What was the most positive aspect of your abortion experience and what was most negative? And I, I think the positive is relevant here, but I should preface it by saying that, um, a very large percentage of women said there was nothing positive mm. from this. That was about, I believe, around 30, 32 uh, percent. And we've had almost a thousand women. Um, and so, when looking at what were the, how how did they get past it, or what how did they benefit psychologically? Um, uh, one other big, I think it was, first, not experiencing anything positive was the most common response. But then a deepened spiritual life, finding forgiveness, peace, inner healing, that was identified by 17.5%. Uh, another positive that the women shared was being committed to crisis pregnancy work, uh, sharing of the abortion experience in writing or orally. We also um, had women report that they were committed to helping women recover from an abortion by sharing God's forgiveness and love, and 7.5 uh, percent experienced a conversion uh, to Christianity, and uh, knowing Christ personally, and then uh, being active in the pro-life movement. So I think, in terms of recovery, the, looking at you know reading these you know all this data and and, and Identifying themes definitely broadens my understanding, and um, and recovery for many many women is through forgiveness experienced by God, but also just forgiving themselves. That that seems to be a a hurdle Hmm. for a significant number and.
0: so this act of forgiving yourself is somewhat controversial. I know in uh, the church, some say, "Oh, well, you're placing yourself above Christ, whose forgiveness paid all," which, of course, theologically yeah. is very sound. <laughs> On the other right. hand, <laughs> right. right,
1: exactly. <laughs> so, so
0: talk about the dynamics of forgiving yourself after abortion.
1: Well, and you know, I think whether forgive or forget is the right. I mean, I, I, well women who feel forgiven by God and forgive themselves, they still don't seem to ever forget, you know, and and, and when do we ever forget the loss of a life? And I mean, it makes sense. that they, So they sort of live um, around or within the loss. And um, and so it's just that they have to navigate their lives differently than if they hadn't lost a child. And um, so I, I think this, I sort of, as my perspective, but I'm just one Christian out there, I, I believe that, Christ died for all of our sins, and and that we should forgive ourselves. We have to forgive ourselves if God forgave us. So that's sort of been that's my take on on the scripture and the belief. But I still empathize with the women who just find it so hard um, to do that. You know, that for many women, they're you know highly empathetic, and uh, their relationships are good and warm, and they they're, they they excel, and they, and they you know. So that this is a one area that they just feel like they, you know, let themselves down, let the baby down, let other people down, and so they just struggle with it. And so I I understand the reality of of that being so difficult based on all the testimonies I've heard. um,
0: So So it's like it's uh, one of the risk factors, excuse me, one of the factors that we should consider before abortion is that it could be a wound to your conscience— which could take a lifetime to heal,
1: right? Um, if you have if you have a minute, I can tell a story that uh, please I while um, I was flying to Dublin to speak. It was after I had published the meta-analysis in 2011 in the British Journal of Psychiatry. So I was doing a lot of traveling, and I was on Air Lingus from London to Dublin, and the stewardess, my um, friend and I were kind of debating about whether we wanted to be in the aisle where you have to take responsibility if there's an axe. And I didn't want to. I I, I I don't like that aisle. I'd rather not somebody else open the door. So we're just kind of bickering. And then she said, where are you going anyway? She just was a little bit she's off put by the Americans and I said to Dublin and she said why and I said I'm speaking there and then she said what are you speaking about just really just kind of grouchy and I I said about um, abortion and the mental health implications and her whole demeanor changed completely her name was Lisa that's all I remember and I and she said and I've never in my life asked someone if they had had an abortion but I, I was just moved to ask her and I said did you have one and she said yes it was It was eighteen years ago, and this is the first time I've been able to be on this run from London to to dublin because i had to go to london for the abortion this is the very first flight in 18 years that she encountered me there and then she was glued to us she like neglected all of her stewardess mm. She <laughs> just wanted to hear everything about it and mm. um shared her her what she went through all the psychological trauma and just had everything imaginable happen you know and Mentally and psychologically, and then, but it was healed, and you know, and um, I believe through a conversion, and and she said that acknowledging, not blaming, helped her. But anyway, the story didn't didn't story didn't end there. And so then I went to the Mater Hospital where I was speaking, and it was mostly medical, like an audience of maybe. Forty people and there's this person waving in the back and I didn't tell her where I was speaking and I thought I don't know anybody here and then she said Lisa from the plane and then I thought how strange and then she asked a really good question during the talk and then afterwards I said how did you find this? It was just the very next day she said well I went home and my roommate was attending and I what? <laughs> was just an amazing God incident so. But I know her journey was just a very long one. And finally, it it came uh, to fruition where she felt entirely healed through God's forgiveness and through her acceptance of her responsibility, as she put it.
0: Mm. Well, and I think that's I think that is such a key that, excuse me, I felt, you know, as if I'd been abandoned to abortion. But in a moment of truth. I didn't really know the Lord wasn't walking with him but he showed me that I really was the last line of defense and then mm-hmm. having gone through with it with that knowledge you know I I had to accept responsibility for my cowardice as well as for the that death mm-hmm. and you're well, right I, it just takes time to live with it yeah. once you can accept that
1: and there are cases where women really are forced and where they don't have any they don't have any say There's, I've been doing research on sex trafficking victims and um sex abuse victims and uh and just uh, domestic violence often they women are just made to have an abortion or or their lives are threatened and there for one case I was on with South Dakota we looked at over 200 um cases in the news where women were literally killed by a partner because they refused an yes. the abortion. So, you know, a lot of times women, you know, have you know, it is important for them to sort of realize that they did make that decision in the end. But for some, they it's not their decision. And so, well, and <laughs> so I and I don't want to put you on
0: put you on the spot, but I, I, it's a pretty significant percentage of women who feel coerced, isn't it? Or And
1: There's anti-coercion laws now too. Yes, yeah. So it's a, yeah. And, and the problem with pressure or coercion is it can be anywhere from somewhat mild where the woman just feels senses even that the husband or the partner doesn't want to have the child so they're feeling that subtle pressure or someone else in their lives you know doesn't you know doesn't want them to go through with it all the way up to an active threat of death and so it's a it's hard to measure because it takes on so many different um, dimensions and, and levels of severity but definitely a, 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 a strong High percentage of women feel some pressure, or uh, all the way up to that active, co- co- you know, coercion.
0: Dr. Priscilla Coleman is our guest, and we'll link to her resources at cradlemyheart.org. dot org. And also want to mention she'll be presenting at a conference in Fargo, North Dakota, in April uh, for healthcare professionals. The clinical impact of reproductive choice. And it's um, a conference where you can earn your educational credits uh, through the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And Dr. Coleman, you'll be talking about just exactly what we've been addressing uh, about yeah. the impacts of reproductive choice at that conference. Is there, I mean, is there a particular focus that you're going to take?
1: Uh, Well, I have uh, actually five topics. I'll talk about the most common and well-established mental health risks associated with abortion. So that's the depression, the anxiety, substance abuse, and suicidal behaviors. Then I'll talk about the, per. and we talked about this today, pressure is one, but the personal demographic and situational risk factors for adverse post-abortion mental health uh, outcomes. I'll also look at um, the relationship challenges, focusing on intimate partners, and, and parenting. There's evidence in the literature indicating that when an abortion takes place that then there are relationship challenges that ensue. Um, and and sadly, women are often told that they need to have the abortion to preserve the, the relationship when the opposite's true. And looking also at how a prior abortion might impact parenting behavior in the future. Um, the fourth topic is abortion experience and increased risk of death. Uh, I did some work, uh, population based, um, study, uh, and de- using data from Denmark. And, um, so there's definitely an increased risk of death and that can be from natural causes, but it can also be from careless behaviors often, um, or not often, but sometimes women who have an abortion, um, stop caring about themselves. So there, so there might be high risk behaviors that, uh, include substance abuse or, um, other kinds of risk-taking behaviors that increase the risk of death. And then I'll also I'll conclude looking at um, the, the research that's been published on abortion and mental health, um, looking at the strongest data that's available, but also reviewing the Turnaway Study and other studies that have been published um, by abortion rights researchers uh, that have glaring methodological uh, problems, and I'll try to simplify it so that when women, when uh, people leave the conference, they'll have a, a, a keen understanding of, you know, really what makes for a decent study and what compromises a study. And when it's flawed methodologically, the results are essentially meaningless and have no bearing on the average woman walking into an abortion.
0: Mm. You know. So, oh, I'm, I'm so excited! I'm going to be there too. I'm I'm going to be yes, presenting, so. yeah, on the spiritual aspects of it. But oh, be great! You know, and it's in a lived experience. Many of us have trouble separating spirit from mental health. Right? If I'm depressed, mm-hmm. is this a spiritual problem for me, or is it a mental health problem? The answer is both. Sometimes, sometimes maybe right. not. Or maybe, maybe the interventions. You know, you might want to take one or the other or both. But as I listen to you talk about. These five subjects, which is not in any measure the limit of the knowledge and the work that you've done and your expertise, I wonder you know, our primary audience for this, our target audience for this broadcast is pastors and church leaders. And oh, I, they have not gotten this memo. Uh, yeah, be- because I, I, what do yeah. they have to be? They would have to be doing spiritual outreach if they knew these things
1: right yeah and it's hard to believe but you know the stats are that about 25 percent of women now by the time they're 45 have had at least one abortion so there are all you know met thousands of women on the sitting in the churches that have had abortions and, and you know and so i think there does need to be a recognition and groups and so forth to help them i i was fortunate i um The pastor at the church where I've uh, been a member for many years, when he he first arrived, he, within, I think, a a month, wanted me to speak on the topic for the congregation. And I was so thankful for him because I've been in many churches where there just didn't seem to be much interest or belief that the women who are uh, members or attending had had this experience, but that, you know, it's just absolutely impossible, especially when we know that so many women who have had abortions find healing through a conversion or a deepening of their spiritual walk.
0: So, what I'm hearing you say, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I heard you say right there is that it's a statistical impossibility that there is a church without people who've had abortions in it today. I
1: would say so, yes. yes. Or it would be a real outlier, a real extreme.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just to put a fine point on it, Pastor, we encourage you (laughs) to uh, take advantage of the resources that are out there by recognizing that there is a need in our churches. So, Dr. Coleman, yeah. I just—what's um, on the horizon for you? You're you're retired from your work at Bowling Green, and now serving as an expert witness in helping to yeah. pass legislation. Tell, tell me what's on the horizon for you.
1: Well, I'm, I am hoping to help states more now that I've done an extensive amount of work with Indiana, Missouri, Florida, Tennessee, South Dakota, a number of states, but. Um, a lot of them are are fighting the same battles, and so I, you know, I, Georgia, I was just down there with, with the six week band um, at the trial, uh, and uh, but anyway, I mean, I just would like to be able to. I don't advertise my services; it's just word of mouth. But I would, I've done it so much now. I've been on probably thirty cases that I, I'm battle-worn. I you know I I know what the challenges are and I feel more confident than ever and ever before in terms of being able to explain the data to courts and writing and and that and I'm you know well versed in depositions and trial testimony uh requirements and so forth and so it's not easy work and it's um but I do feel like it's the the most direct way to Help women arrive at healthy choices regarding abortion, and um, and so I, it definitely in my heart to continue that. I'm available whenever anyone needs me. I I just really don't actively advertise. I I am worried that. Um, I might have too much on my plate, but somehow it always seems to work out. I finish one case and another one starts. There's not been a whole lot of overlap. Um, But then I also hope to spend more time with my three grown children. I have an adult son with disabilities and I'm his primary caregiver, so I have more time for him. And I have my daughter, adopted my daughter at three. She was my uh, sister's child and the son I built to take care of her and then she just adopted a little boy from Texas so wow. they're both <laughs> years old and I hope to spend more time with them and then I, I have an Airbnb and I have a <laughs> retail store I always wanted to have a it's kind of like a glorified thrift store in Deschler Ohio and it's open three days a week and it's in a very quiet conservative Christian town I feel at peace here I'm actually sitting here right now in the Airbnb because I have better reception so uh, but anyway those are just some of the things I've always wanted to do and I'm just sort of open to where God leads me
0: beautiful beautiful we'll try to get as many of those details in as we can at cradlemyheart.org Dr. Priscilla Coleman thank you for being our guest this is cradle my heart radio with Kim Catola. Preventing Abortion and Helping Those It Hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.